0: Between the Essential Reads and the English Essentials, I spend a lot of time writing scripts. Now, I could do this from home, but it's a lot nicer to get out of the house and work in a coffee shop or a cafe. I could use my phone data to check articles and research for my scripts, but that can get expensive fast. It's so much easier to use the Wi-Fi at my favourite coffee shops. Well, thanks to Surfshark VPN, I don't have to worry about public Wi-Fi networks stealing my data. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and continue working without having to worry about anyone stealing my data. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 a month on a two-year plan. And work worry-free wherever you please. With continual development in technology, hackers and cybercriminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, Use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads Podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. Frankenstein, by Mary Shelley, Chapter sixteen. Cursed, cursed creator! Why did I live? Why, in that instant, did I not extinguish the spark of existence which you had so wantonly bestowed? I know not. Despair had not yet taken possession of me. My feelings were those of rage and revenge. I could, with pleasure, have destroyed the cottage and its inhabitants, and have glutted myself with their shrieks and misery. When night came, I quitted my retreat, and wandered in the wood, and now, no longer restrained by the fear of discovery, I gave vent to my anguish in fearful howlings. I was like a wild beast that had broken the toils, destroying the objects that obstructed me, and ranging through the woods with a stag-like swiftness. Oh, what a miserable night I passed. The cold stars shone in mockery, and the bare trees waved their branches above me. Now and then, the sweet voice of a bird burst forth amidst the universal stillness. All, save I, were at rest or in enjoyment. I, like the arch-fiend, bore a hell within me, and, finding myself unsympathized with, wished to tear up the trees "'spread havoc and destruction around me, "'and then to have sat down and enjoyed the ruin. "'But this was a luxury of sensation that could not endure. "'I became fatigued with excess of bodily exertion, "'and shrank on the damp grass in the sick impotence of despair. "'There was none among the myriads of men that existed "'who would pity or assist me. "'And should I feel kindness towards my enemies?' No. From that moment, I declared everlasting war against the species, and more than all, against him whom had formed me and set me forth to this unsupportable misery. The sun rose. I heard the voices of men, and knew that it was impossible to return to my retreat during that day. Accordingly, I hid myself in some thick underwood, "'determining to devote my ensuing hours to reflection on my situation. "'The pleasant sunshine and the pure air of day restored me to some degrees of tranquillity, "'and, when I considered what had passed at the cottage, "'I could not help believing that I had been too hasty in my conclusions. "'I had certainly acted imprudently. "'It was apparent that my conversation had interested the father in my behalf, "'and I was a fool in having exposed my person to the horror of his children.' I ought to have familiarized the old De DeLacy to me, and by degrees to have discovered myself to the rest of his family, when they should have been prepared for my approach. But I did not believe my errors to be irretrievable, and, after much consideration, I resolved to return to the cottage to seek the old man, and by my representations, win him to my party. These thoughts calmed me, and, in the afternoon, I sank into a profound sleep, but the fever of my blood did not allow me to be visited by peaceful dreams. The horrible scene of the preceding day was forever acting before my eyes. The females were flying, and the enraged Felix tearing me from his father's feet. I awoke exhausted, and finding that it was already night, I crept forth from my hiding place, and went in search of food. When my hunger was appeased, I directed my steps toward the well-known path that conducted to the cottage. All there was at peace. I crept into my hovel, and remained in silent expectation of the accustomed hour when the family arose. That hour passed, and the sun mounted high in the heavens, but the cottages did not appear. I trembled violently, apprehending some dreadful misfortune. The inside of the cottage was dark, and I heard no motion. I cannot describe the agony of this suspense. Presently. Two countrymen passed by, but, pausing near the cottage, they entered into conversation using violent gesticulations, but I did not understand what they said, as they spoke the language of the country which differed from that of my protectors. Soon after, however, Felix approached with another man. I was surprised, as I knew he had not quitted the cottage that morning, and awaited anxiously to discover from his discourse the meaning of these unusual appearances. "'Do you consider?' said his companion to him, that you will be obliged to pay three months' rent and lose the produce of your garden. I do not wish to take any further advantages, and I beg, therefore, that you will take some days to consider your determination. It is utterly useless, replied Felix. We can never again inhabit your cottage. The life of my father is in the greatest danger, owing to the dreadful circumstances that I have related. My wife and sister would never recover from their horror. I entreat you not to reason with me any more. Take possession of your tenement, and let me fly from this place. Felix trembled violently as he said this. He and his companion entered the cottage, in which they remained for a few minutes, and then departed. I never saw any of the family of De Delacy more. I continued for the remainder of the day in my hovel in a state of utter and stupid despair. My protectors had departed and had broken the only link that held me to the world. For the first time, the feelings of revenge and hatred filled my bosom, and I did not strive myself to control them, but allowing myself to be borne away by the stream, I bent my mind towards injury and death. When I thought of my friends, of the mild voice of Lacey, the gentle eyes of Agatha, and the exquisite beauty of the Arabian, these thoughts vanished, and a gush of tears somewhat soothed me. But again, when I reflected that they had spurned and deserted me, anger returned. A rage of anger, and unable to endure anything human, I turned my fury toward inanimate objects. As night advanced, I placed a variety of combustibles around the cottage, and, after having destroyed every vestige of cultivation in the garden, I waited with forced impatience until the moon had sunk to commence my operations. As the night advanced, a fierce wind arose from the woods, and quickly dispersed the clouds that had loitered in the heavens. The blast tore along like a mighty avalanche, and produced a kind of insanity in my spirits that burst all bounds of reason and reflection. I lighted the dry branch of a tree, and danced with fury around the devoted cottage, my eyes still fixed on the western horizon, the edge of which the moon nearly touched. A part of its orb was at length hid, and I waved my brand. It sank, and with a loud scream I fired the straw and heathen bushes which I had collected. The wind fanned the fire, and the cottage was quickly enveloped by the flames which clung to it, and licked it with their forked and destroying tongues. As soon as I was convinced that no assistance could save any part of the habitation, I quitted the scene. "'and sought for refuge in the woods. "'And now, with the world before me, "'whither should I bend my steps? "'I resolved to fly far from the scene of my misfortunes. "'But to me, hated and despised, "'every country must be equally horrible. "'At length the thought of you crossed my mind. "'I learned from your papers that you were my father, "'my creator, and to whom could I apply with more fitness?' than to him who had given me life. Among the lessons that Felix had bestowed upon Safie, geography had not been omitted. I had learned from these the relative situations of the different countries of the earth. You had mentioned Geneva as the name of your native town, and towards this place I resolved to proceed. But how was I to direct myself? I knew that I must travel in a south-westerly direction to reach my destination. But the sun was my only guide. I did not know the names of the towns that I was to pass through, nor could I ask information from a single human being. But I did not despair. From you only could I hope for succour. although towards you I felt no sentiment but that of hatred. Unfeeling, heartless creator. You had endowed me with perceptions and passions, and then cast me abroad an object for the scorn and horror of mankind but on you only had I any claim for pity and redress, and from you I determined to seek that justice which I vainly attempted to gain from any other being that wore the human form. My travels were long, and the sufferings I endured intense. It was late autumn when I quitted the district where I had so long resided. I travelled only at night, fearful for the encountering of the visage of a human being, Nature decayed around me, and the sun became heatless. Rain and snow poured around me, mighty rivers were frozen, and the surface of the earth was hard and chill and bare, and I found no shelter. O earth, how often did I imprecate curses on the cause of my being! The mildness of my nature had fled, and all within me was turned to gall and bitterness. The nearer I approached your habitation, the more deeply did I feel the spirit of revenge enkindled in my heart. Snow fell, and the waters were hardened, but I rested not. A few incidents now and then directed me, and I possessed a map of the country, but I often wandered wide from my path. The agony of my feelings allowed me no respite, no incident occurred with which my rage and misery could not extract its food. But a circumstance that happened when I arrived on the confines of Switzerland, when the sun had recovered its warmth and the earth again began to look green, confirmed in an especial manner the bitterness and horror of my feelings. I generally rested during the day, and travelled only when I was secured by night from the views of man. One morning, however, finding that my path lay through a deep wood, I ventured to continue my journey after the sun had risen. The day, which was one of the first of spring, cheered even me by the loveliness of its sunshine and the balminess of the air. I felt emotions of gentleness and pleasure that had long appeared dead, revive within me. Half surprised by the novelty of these sensations, I allowed myself to be borne away by them, and, forgetting my solitude and deformity, dared to be happy. Soft tears again bedewed my cheeks, and I even raised my humid eyes with thankfulness towards the blessed sun which bestowed such joy upon me. I continued to wind among the paths of the wood, until I came to its boundary, which was skirted by a deep and rapid river into which many of the trees bent their branches, now budding with the fresh spring. Here I paused, not exactly knowing what path to pursue, when I heard the sound of voices that induced me to conceal myself under the shade of a cypress. I was scarcely hid when a young girl came running toward the spot where I was concealed, laughing as if she ran from someone in sport. She continued her course along the precipitous sides of the river, when suddenly her foot slipped and she fell into the rapid stream. I rushed from my hiding place and, with extreme labour from the force of the current, saved her and dragged her to shore. She was senseless, and I endeavoured by every means in my power to restore animation when I was suddenly interrupted by the approach of a rustic, who was probably the person from whom she had playfully fled. On seeing me, he darted towards me, and tearing the girl from my arms, hastened towards the deeper part of the wood. I followed, speedily. I hardly knew why, but when the man saw me draw near, he armed a gun, which he carried, at my body, and fired. I sank to the ground, and my Indra, with increased swiftness, escaped into the wood. This was then the reward of my benevolence. I had saved a human being from destruction. And as a recompense, I now writhed under the miserable pain of a wound which shattered the flesh and bone. The feelings of kindness and gentleness which I had entertained but a few moments before gave place to hellish rage and gnashing of teeth. Inflamed by pain, I vowed eternal hatred and vengeance to all mankind the agony of my wound overcame me. My pulses paused, and I fainted. For some weeks I led a miserable life in the woods, endeavouring to cure the wound which I had received. The ball had entered my shoulder, and I knew not whether it had remained there or passed through. At any rate, I had no means of extracting it. My sufferings were augmented also by the oppressive sense of the injustice and ingratitude of their infliction. My daily vows rose for revenge, a deep and deadly revenge such as would alone compensate for the outrages and anguish I had endured. After some weeks, my wound healed, and I continued my journey. The labours I endured were no longer to be alleviated by the bright sun or gentle breezes of spring. All joy was but a mockery which insulted my desolate state and made me feel more painfully that I was not made for the enjoyment of pleasure. But my toils now drew near a close, and in two months from this time I reached the environs of Geneva. It was evening when I arrived, and I retired to a hiding-place among the fields that surrounded it to mediate in what manner I should apply to you. I was oppressed by fatigue and hunger, and far too unhappy to enjoy the gentle breezes of the evening, or the prospect of the sun setting behind the stupendous mountains of Jura. At this time a slight sleep relieved me from the pain of reflection which was disturbed by the approach of a beautiful child who came running into the recess i had chosen with all the sportiveness of infancy suddenly as i gazed on him an idea seized me that this little creature was unprejudiced and had lived too short a time to have imbibed the horror of deformity if therefore i could seize him and educate him as my companion and friend I should not be so desolate in this peopled earth. Urged by this impulse, I seized on the boy as he passed, and drew him towards me. As soon as he beheld my form, he placed his hands before his eyes, and uttered a shrill scream. I drew his hands forcibly from his face, and said, Child, what is the meaning of this? I do not intend to hurt you. Listen to me. He struggled violently. Let me go! he cried monster monster ugly wretch you wish to eat me and tear me to pieces you are an ogre let me go i will tell my papa boy you will never see your father again you must come with me hideous monster let me go my papa is a syndic he is m frankenstein he will punish you you dare not keep me frankenstein you belong then to my enemy to him towards whom I have sworn eternal revenge, you shall be my first victim. The child still struggled and loaded me with epithets which carried despair to my heart. I grasped his throat, silent him, and in a moment he lay dead at my feet. I gazed on my victim and my heart swelled with exultation and hellish triumph. Clapping my hands, I exclaimed, I too can create desolation. My enemy is not invulnerable. This death will carry despair to him, and a thousand other miseries shall torment and destroy him. As I fixed my eyes on the child, I saw something glittering on his breast. I took it. It was a portrait of a most lovely woman. In spite of my malignity, it softened and attracted me. For a few moments I gazed with delight on her dark eyes, fringed by deep lashes, and her lovely lips, but presently my rage returned. I remembered that I was forever deprived of the delights that such beautiful creatures could bestow, and that she, whose resemblance I contemplated, would, in regarding me, have changed that air of divine benignity to one expressive of disgust and affright. Can you wonder that such thoughts transported me with rage? I only wonder that at that moment, instead of venting my sensations and exclamations and agony, I did not rush among mankind and perish in the attempt to destroy them. While I was overcome by these feelings, I left the spot where I had committed the murder, and, seeking a more secluded hiding space, I entered a barn which had appeared to me to be empty. A woman was sleeping on some straw. She was young not indeed so beautiful as her whose portraits I held, but of an agreeable aspect, and blooming in the loveliness of youth and health. Here, I thought, is one of whose joy-imparting smiles are bestowed upon all but me. I bent over her and whispered, Awake, fairest, thy lover is near. He who would give his life to obtain one look of affection from thine eyes. My beloved, awake. The sleeper stirred. A thrill of terror ran through me. Should she indeed awake and see me and curse me and denounce the murderer? Thus would she assuredly act if her darkened eyes opened and she beheld me. The thought was madness. It stirred the fiend within me. Not I, but she shall suffer. The murder I have committed, because I am forever robbed of all that she could give me, she shall atone. The crime had its source in her be her the punishment. Thanks to the lessons of Felix and the sanguinary laws of man, I had learned now to work mischief. I bent over her and placed the portrait securely in one of the folds of her dress. She moved again, and I fled. For some days, I haunted the spot where these scenes had taken place, sometimes wishing to see you, sometimes resolved to quit the world and its miseries forever. At length, I wander toward these mountains, and have ranged through their immense recesses, consumed by a burning passion which you alone can gratify. We may not part until you have promised to comply with my requisition. I am alone and miserable. Man will not associate with me, but one as deformed and horrible as myself would not deny herself to me. My companion must be one of the same species, and have the same defects. This being you must create. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye bye